You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. All right, guys, this is a special Saturday, April 4th edition of the Beltway Briefing, and we're going to get back to politics a little bit in this episode. Not so much, you know, is Biden doing well or is Trump doing well, but more what's the impact of everything that's going on from a political perspective? We're swimming in the CARES Act all day, every day. The three of us are taking calls from clients that are or prospective clients that are looking for money all day, every day with a lot of ambiguity out there. But this is 2020. It's election season. And let's talk a little bit about the political implications of everything that's going on. Mark, I'll start with you. How do you see this from a political perspective? I think, Howard, uh, two things right up front. Uh, need to be said. Number one, there will be an election, period. There will be an election this November. The only authority to postpone the election in November is in Congress, and the House is not postponing this election. So we can start with the fact that we are some number of months away from a hugely consequential election. And number two, I would say that because this is a total eclipse of the sun, because there is nothing else that is important to Americans except this crisis, everything that Trump did, good, bad, or in between, everything that everyone in an elected office did until the crisis hit, is now as ancient history as the Peloponnesian Wars. All that is going to matter in November is how elected officials running for office handled this crisis. Jim. So that's my frame. Jim, what do you think? So I agree with Mark. There's going to be an election. The question is, what does this campaign cycle look like? And whether it's whether you're running for Congress or running for president, there's no ability to campaign right now. Absolutely no ability. And I agree with Mark. A lot of the, a lot of what's going to happen in November is going to depend upon how things are handled and managed through this crisis. Although I do believe that while folks may forget a little bit about certain issues, I think the economy is going to be front and center come November, provided we're in a position that we are all working again, or at least back to going to work again, businesses are opened again in November, that the country is on its way to, you know, to functioning in the way that it, that has functioned in the past, that people aren't dying every day from this horrible virus. I think they're going to be looking for someone who can take them out of this economically, can take the country out of this rut it's in right now, which is caused by this virus and get us back on track. Guys, I mean, can I I just offer a counterpoint? I mean, I hear you on the fact that there's going to be an election. It's constitutionally required, but we don't know where we're going to be in November. And they're talking about a dip over the summer and then a resurgence in the fall. What happens if 
we can't go to the polls. People aren't going to, if it's like it is today, people aren't going to go to the polls. So what are we going to do? Vote by mail? Are they going to change the way? Is that even possible? Look, well, that, that, that's a sure state. it's possible. Sure, it's possible. That's a state by state determination as to how, how you vote in a particular jurisdiction. And I think you're going to see folks on the left trying to push this idea of online voting and a number of other a number of other issues that, quite frankly, have failed in the past. And I think they're going to take this opportunity to push those to push online voting rather than in-person voting. Yeah, but can rather you, than absentee ballot well, voting. actually well, there's no time. November? There's no time to do that. Right. right. There's no time to do that. So there I is mean, time. It, wait, wait, wait. There is time for 50 states to set up to vote by mail. It's done in all 50 states with absentee ballots today. And there is time to make voting by mail generally available to the electorate in 50 states and the District of Columbia. However, it's already partisan, which is to me not surprising, but but a little confusing. I do not understand why Republicans think that voting by mail favors Democrats. I I don't understand why people think that voting period favors one party or another. But Jim, why why is voting by mail a pro-democratic party measure that the Republican leadership is already vocally opposed to? The president has said he's against it. Look, why? True. Well, why? Look, there's no reason. I mean, look, people stand outside of grocery stores today, right? And stand 10 feet apart to go in and do their shopping. The same thing can happen at the polling places. The same thing can happen in November. The opportunity to go and vote in person, which is just as important to this country as to our country as it is to our households and getting food, is that traditionally folks go to the foot polls and vote unless they're unavailable to go to the polls and vote. Yeah, and then they vote by, they vote by absence. I don't think they will. I mean, talk about something that would skew the election, Mark. It's like, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't I, be so quick to go out and vote if the election were being held today. Honestly, well, today, I mean, no one would go out. Today, to today, vote. hopefully today is much different than November. No, and hopefully. we don't know what it looks right. like, but, but, Again, I, Jim, I, I'm all for the traditional American way of, of voting. I'm all for getting back to some American traditions and getting out of this deep, deep hole we're in. But if voting by mail is good enough for the military, is good enough for Americans living abroad, is good enough for people who apply for an absentee ballot with or without, by the way, a reason that they can't go to the polls. You check a box. I've already done it in Pennsylvania, for example. Why not encourage 50 states to set up voting by mail so we are prepared regardless of where this goes? What doing, is doing everything via absentee ballot. Is that what you're suggesting, Mark? Making an absentee ballot available to every eligible American voter in all 50 states and the District of Columbia if they choose, if they choose to use it. Aren't, we, the aren't we close to that, that Pennsylvania anyway, Mark? Is that, that within a certain amount we of are. time? You're right. You just made the argument that we don't need it. Because if you're unavailable to go and why vote does the poll, president say why is the president says against it, Jim? 
if you're unavailable to go to the polls, why do we need to, why? Here's the thing. Is it going to be fraught with fraud? That's the maybe, question. Maybe, maybe. Is it going to be fraught with fraud? And, and, and I think there is an element to that, that it may be fraught with fraud. Whenever, you know, look, campaigns and, and high stakes elections, you know, there is an incentive to cheat. You're going to change the rules in the middle of the election cycle and give folks an opportunity to take take advantage of chaos. And in that, okay. when where there is chaos, there's opportunity for change. Let's switch gears. So you don't believe that Donald Trump's opposition to voting by mail is his fear of fraud. You don't believe that, and nobody listening to this believes it. And I don't know why we can't just call it what it is, which is a partisan position because of a belief which I I don't find empirically grounded to begin with. That voting by mail will favor Democrats. But come back to it, Mark. Why change the rules if they aren't broken? Look here out in Pennsylvania, your window, Jim. Here in Pennsylvania, Look out your window. If, if, if I were unavailable to Jim, go vote because I'm quarantined in my house, in I could vote fifth, absentee. We don't depend, need to change one law in this state. Depending on how you count, you are living in either the fourth or fifth largest city in the world. I see your lovely living room on the screen here. Look out the window. Do you see any people, Jim? That's why you change the rules. This right, is but you don't need out- to change the rules to effectuate what you're saying, Mark. Well, you do in some At least in Pennsylvania, you don't need to. Right. So in terms of the way the election, I mean, there's an good, election. Good, Howard, that was a good question, yes. Looming <laughs> out there. Uh, you guys are both super active in political fundraising. Are, are people still raising money? I, I, yes, they're trying, yeah. right? So we're getting calls, we're getting emails, and you're getting politicians, quote unquote, checking in. Uh, Mark and I are both heavily involved with the firm's pack, and and it is, you know, we are still getting those fundraising calls from folks, albeit not as often and not as not as much as we would have. And the answer is, we don't want to talk about it right now, and, and that's the way we've been treating it as a firm. Yeah, I, I think. Two things uh, have happened, uh, at least two things have happened. One is that the efficacy of online fundraising has perversely gone down in this crisis, both because people are distracted. Obviously, people are hugely distracted, but also because nobody can find what they want in their email anymore anyway. The the inundation, the absolute flood of fundraising emails is absurd. I, You all know the great respect uh, I have for the former Vice President Biden, but I'm about to block him because I get <laughs> something from him every five minutes and I can't get to the emails I want. Mark, so that makes I, me a little nervous that you're going to block me. Just I got to call IT and figure out how to do that. I, I, I don't know how to block. So, so I think Howard. I think going back. I think Mark says an interesting thing here that you know he's getting inundated from Joe Biden. I think that's indicative of across the board, for especially folks who are in the in the challenger position that they're just having a hard time breaking through and get their message out. If you're well, an incumbent you politician when, right. right now and you're out there every day standing before your constituents virtually in most in most instances and talking about this crisis, 
your opponent just isn't going to be able to break through that, nor can they because they're sitting in their house or their basements like we are. Right. Well, and there, there's another element. The of megaphone. Course. I mean, Trump has if you're talking about Biden v. Trump, Trump goes on TV every day at five o'clock and gives his daily press conference. And there's no way to outdo well, that. I two things again, I seem to have two two answers to every question here this morning. Uh, maybe it's a bipolar world that we're living in. But number one, there's an argument that the best thing for Joe Biden is to have Donald Trump keep doing those press conferences, okay? A lot of people don't think they are going very well. A lot of people think they're going just fine, Jim. I get it. But that bully pulpit is not being maximized, in my view, by the president right now. And the more he puts his son-in-law up there, the better this is looking. Yeah, but but also, did. but let me say something about yeah. Joe Biden. Joe Biden is in a very difficult position, not just in terms of the noise and the signal and breaking through, but he he is actually rooting for the president because the president is the only one we got. And he wants this country to come out of this just like everybody listening to this does. And it's very tricky. It's very tricky for him to sit in his basement day after day, go on cable or wherever and rip the only commander in chief that we no, have. You can't do it. But I got to yeah. tell you, Mark, on the other side of that, you know, Joe Biden isn't isn't exactly and we can get into this between both candidates hasn't been the best communicator. So to a certain extent, him being tucked away, in my view, is a benefit for him at times, because every time he goes out, he seems to put his foot in his mouth. Well, as I say, there's a case to be made that the best thing for Biden is for Trump to keep talking. And I'm sure there's a case to be made that the best thing for Trump is for Biden to keep talking. On the other hand, Which, Trump's approval ratings are up. A little. The gap? No, significantly, Mark. Significantly, meaningfully. They are up because we are Americans. We are in the crisis of our lives and we are all rooting for the president, no matter what our opinion of how he's doing here. And I don't buy the bump. I don't buy the, the polling bump. But but I would back- I would agree with you, Mark, if it were 2019. But I think in 2020. The bump is real because people are looking at this and look, he's going to be judged upon how he handled this crisis. And we can argue all day. I'm going to say he's doing a good job at the podium. And I think that you living your bubble in the main line and around Philadelphia and around folks who don't like the president. But you get outside of to, to working Americans and him watching that on TV. They agree with him 100 percent. And I think I think that's where working class <laughs> Americans. I think that's where. You know that's where the rubber's going to meet the but road they, well, is how he's ha- how he's perceived. There, there are the some basic facts here. There are some no, wait, basic wait, wait, facts wait. here. Americans we are, rally to the flag in a crisis. Yeah, look at George H.W. Bush. In, now, look, no, if you cannot compare the rise in the polling numbers here to either of the presidents Bush in their crises, and yes, this is different. But my point and is simply that, yeah, he's up and and I'm not surprised he's up, but he isn't up like President Bush and President look, Bush, too, were. When you step back and look at where we are, I mean, 
We're not the most populous country on the face of the earth, yet we now have the most cases. This isn't, there's an utter failure of government here, uh, in my opinion. And that's not necessarily, I don't lay all of that at the feet of Trump, but there's no question that there's a failure of government here. And I do think, I mean, I think the polling is real, but I think it does catch up with him eventually. I think it catches up with a lot of these people. This is a failure. I go back to what I said a minute ago. This election is going to be about how the president handled this crisis. The failure is undeniable. The failure is not 100% caused by Donald Trump, but he 100% owns it. And the failure of this administration since the first case was reported in January is catastrophic. And that is going to catch up with Donald Trump in November. And and I am still rooting for the damn guy because he's the only leader we've got. It's much deeper than that, though. This this really was bureaucracy getting in the way of itself. And this is the perfect example of it. And regulation. And And, 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 and regulation. And you're seeing an opportunity for this administration to deregulate across the board, to cut bureaucratic red tape at a time when, you know, maybe a Democratic administration might be frozen on this, right? And there's an argument to be made that someone who's willing to take these steps in working with the private sector like he has you know, and, and how you come out of it is as much as important Jim, as how you got into it. And Jim, I think I think coming out of it, I think he look he's going to look pretty good. What grade do you give the president for dismantling the pandemic task force? He deregulated the pandemic task force right out of existence. And we lost critical weeks and months in dealing with this. There is no reason on this earth that this country should have more cases than China did. And yet we well, do. No, no, and no. one you, of the reasons, the one of the reasons, is, is that we're is, a com- we're not a country that's just going to lock people in their houses, Mark. That's not just, what we do, Jim. Looking back on it, would well, it's exactly what we're doing. But right, looking but, but back at the on upset, it, we didn't do it, looking, and that's why New York is where Jim, it is today. And you know he, it. He deregulated the pandemic task force out of existence. Good idea. Well, him, I'll tell like, you what. He also deregulated the ability to get to get product. To market, and that's that's where I think that he's gonna he's winning this battle is because how you got into it, right? We can all we can all disagree about how things happened before this. No one foresee, foresaw this coming. No one saw this coming. But how you handle it False. in the that's moment, kind of the and point. how you kind of the point. False, false. It was seen by the people who were fired by the president. Oh, Mark, I mean. I don't that's, agree with you on that. Like some wrong. office inside the NSC yeah. wasn't going to make this any better no, than it, than it is. Not. I couldn't but disagree more. Trump was denying facts. He was getting up in front of the American people, Jim, and and flat out not telling the truth. Or he had his head in the sand. I mean, that was that was poor poor leadership. Now we're at a phase, though. Where, yeah, things can't get where they need to go because of bureaucratic red tape and BS regulation. And I mean, the testing fiasco is beyond the pale. But also, we're paying a price for the way we live as a country, for the freedom we have relative to other countries, for the privacy regulation, for example, that we have relative to other countries. 
and we're paying a price. So are the Europeans. And I, I think it's hard. I don't lay that at the feet of Trump. I, I mean, I think he's done, in my opinion, a poor job of but speaking at the truth outset, to the country. But at the outset, right, you had Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, everybody, the, the demagoguery that was going on at the outset when he closed the borders, if you will. When he stopped, when he, when he shut everything down coming into China, people were calling him a racist. People were calling him, p- people were just saying he was using this as an excuse. And now it turned out to be a pretty darn good idea. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Now, now everybody, now all the Democrats are like saying, well, he should have done more earlier. But when he started closing the border, people thought he was crazy. And you know what? It wasn't so crazy. In fact, it made a lot of sense. I think the governors of this country have, for the most part, risen to the occasion. I think the governors, for the most part, uh, exclude Alabama and others, for example, Georgia. But I think the governors have outperformed the federal government. And I am hoping you're right, Jim. Nothing would make me and the rest of this country happier than this administration busting through the bureaucracy and getting the the response moving in a much quicker and and much better uh, way but but compare what the governors the governors shut the country down the president so, didn't the we, and that's their did. job let's talk about that like just from a governing perspective you know because I have a I have some thoughts on that I I don't think it's let, let's do a little poll here mark should the president lock down the country consistently across the board at this point in time so that everything everything is the same in every state? Yes. Mark Howard? I think it's up to the governors. I agree with you. And and here's and here's why, right? So the nobody knows better the chief executive of an individual state. Nobody knows better what they need than that leader. Now, you have good leaders and bad leaders in some of these states. I agree with you, Mark. In some of the states, there have been some bad decisions. Louisiana, not doing so well, right? And some of the other states, not doing so well. But I, I think the governors have a fundamental, you know, that's their job is to be the chief executive of the states and make determinations for the citizens of their in, states in, as in it world, relates to business, as it relates to the economy, I, as it relates I, to, to, to interstate, com- all the things that they believe they need to do in those states, they need to be doing. That's an Articles of Confederation approach to this problem. In World War II, Franklin Roosevelt didn't leave to the individual governors the decision whether to ration coffee or ration rubber or ration tin. A national crisis requires a national response. That's why the Constitution and there has been a national response. the Articles of Confederation. A national response and is focused I'm on- I'm all for this president exercising the kind of firm and comprehensive power that he has exercised, I think, inappropriately otherwise. But right here, right now, yeah, that's, that's why he's actually right about Article Two in this crisis. So well, let's I, switch I just, gears. Let's okay. switch gears. You don't like talking about the Articles of Confederation? Oh, I love. I'll talk about it all day long. <laughs> let's switch gears. In in the last states' rights all the way through. In the last twelve years, the United States government has bailed out every major bank, two of the three major auto companies, and now Boeing and every major airline. What do you guys think that? that means for the future i mean think about that 
Is that it's semi-capitalism? <laughs> well, can I turn the question back on the guy on this podcast with the most experience here? What do you think, Howard? You you were part of it ten years ago, eleven years ago. You personally, with a little help uh, from the taxpayers, bailed out the auto industry. I think that was a good decision then. What do you think of bailing out the airlines now? I mean, it's we don't have a choice. But the question is, what does it mean for the future? What does it mean for the way we look at our system of government and our economy? You know, there's this debate raging about capitalism and what capitalism looks like in the future. And we have to be self-honest. I mean, we've been through an incredibly awful 20 years from 9-11 until now. It's really been brutal, but I think we have to re-examine what we stand for. I think some of what is going on plays right into, for example, what Bernie Sanders has been saying. If we can spend $2 trillion like that, then maybe we should be spending $2 trillion to have free college for all or free health care for everybody or, you know, whatever, whatever you want. It's, it's, I just think, I think coming out of this, we just have to be self-honest about where we are and fundamentally reevaluate how we govern and how we, um, what we preach from an economic point of view. It can't be that you can't be that you bail out you know, all the most storied companies in the country over a 12 year period and just go on with life as normal. And I, I think I Trump, agree with that. Trump was a re I've always said Trump was a reaction to bailouts and bonuses from 08, 09. I think we were in the midst of the political workout. And, and I think it, unfortunately this has now come and it's going to cause us to to go backwards a little bit. I, I think we've, I think there, I think we're in for a very rough period from a, from a political point of view coming out of this. Well, I, I think something you just said is very telling and we, we, we don't know where we're going uh, uh, or how it plays out, but it for sure is going to be a factor. You look at just pick, pick a random age. You look at, somebody who was 10 years old in uh, 2001 when 9-11 happened, he, she has, has spent the first 30 years of her life, including her entire adulthood, in crisis. And in crisis where government has exactly, as you said, bailed out the brand name economy and left many, many, many Americans falling farther and farther behind. And there is going to be a political reckoning with that fact. I, I don't know that it means Medicare for all is around the corner. There's a big difference between $2 trillion and $60 trillion. But clearly, we are on our way towards a reckoning with, with this. Yeah, I think the other end of that, though, with big business comes a lot of jobs, right? And when this country's in trouble and that many jobs are being sacrificed, I think there's a there's in this instance, there's more of an acceptance of these big bailouts because the object here is to put people back to work and get the economy going again. And, you know, the fact that 
you know, that they, it is the private sector and they're bailing out the private sector and the big companies and the name brand companies, you know, that ultimately translates to helping the average American worker. So I think there will be some forgiveness here. I think there's a lot of fat in that in that last bill, and I think there's going to be a lot of fat in the next bill. You know, the one they, thing they, I'll say is that, as you guys know, because we've been talking to people about it every hour of every day since the bill was passed, since before the bill was passed, there is a lot in this bill that's geared toward workforce retention and and paying people as opposed to just giving the money injecting capital into um companies which is the way it was done in in 0809 so from that point of view this is different but i guess that i think this favors trump in the fall because it's a there's no question in my mind i already i mean look at the new york times and the washington post and cnn they're already weaving the narrative that of the haves versus have nots. And by the way, it's, it's probably legitimate, but they're already weaving that narrative. They're already leaving the people are left behind the establishment versus the, yeah. the little guy. And that favors Donald Trump in the fall, I, not Joe Biden. Maybe, maybe it's certainly, as we've talked about many times, it certainly helped elect him in 2016. Part of what happened in the financial crisis, TARP, the stimulus bill, was in the mix with Trump getting elected. I favored those actions then. I still favor them in retrospect. But yes, there was a political aftershock that helped put Trump in the White House. But now he's the president. And I'm just not yeah, sure. He owns it. He well, owns I'm it. Just, I'm not right. sure it's going to work the same what, way this time. What are the blue collar working class Americans that are sitting around their kitchen table looking at one another for weeks on end? That what are they going to do? Are they going to look at this president and say, "I think he's the best person to lead us out of the economy. I voted for him the last time because most of them did. I voted for him the last time." carried him across the finish line. Can I, am I going to be the one to carry him across the finish line again? And I think up until this crisis, people, you know, the jobs numbers were tremendous and he had a record for winning as it relates to jobs. And I think it's going to be really hard to turn those blue collar folks around to try something new when the proof is in the pudding, the success was there and we'll give them a shot again because he got it. He got us through this last time. Well, I also think now their jobs are gone and he's not running against Hillary Clinton. And the, just look at Pennsylvania, Jim. I, I don't think. I, what do you think? I don't think it, it's a jump ball. I don't think if the election were held tomorrow, you could handicap whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden would be the choice of those blue collar kitchen table voters to get them out of this. I, I disagree with you. I think if the election was held tomorrow, the blue collar voters would absolutely still be with Donald Trump. Joe Biden's given them no reason to change their mind. I also well, think well, now that we're back if you to the look beginning. at, if you look at Trump's, if you look at his MAGA agenda, above all else, it's most fundamentally about erecting borders around this country. Make America great again, literally and figuratively erecting borders, tariffs, the wall. I mean, it is keeping out illegal 
um, immigrants or and, and and frankly legal immigrants. It is most fundamentally about borders and reasserting borders. And what's going on now from a public health point of view is about erecting borders. It is about um, shutting people out. I think it plays at a very, at a deep level uh, right into his fundamental agenda. And, and the, I think that's going to help him. And the need for manufacturing in this country. And, you know, there's sufficiency. Right. And I think this feeds right into that. Right Xenophobia. Into that. I mean, look. Well, who do you think is packaging and delivering the food that we're all ordering? Trump voters. I don't agree with that. I think you have, and all the data shows this, you have a, a very large immigrant, both documented and undocumented population, doing the hard work of keeping this country running in this crisis. And I just don't know which way this is going to all cut. I hear what you're saying. I think that is... A, a very astute conceptual way to look at this. But I think there's also a, a visceral reality out there that, that could well be going the exact opposite way as we all pull together. And as immigrant populations, documented and undocumented alike, show up at our doors with food that we are ordering so we don't have to go outside. I, I don't think it's it's just way too unclear. It's going to all depend on what the world looks like in November. If he got us out of this and we're on the other end and jobs are coming back and people are going to Eagles games, that that's a different world than we're in now. Well, I don't if know it, what it means for him to get us out of this, Mark. He owns it. But he's the, he's the okay. president of the United States. He has no, but all I think, the I think power it's more that about resides here is in him, for it's, better or worse. It's more and, about the trust. Who are they going to trust to bring back? That Even if we're not fully back yet in November, and there's no way we're going to be all the way back in November, who are the American people going to trust to lead us to this, you know, to economic prosperity? And who has a record of doing that? And Primacy and recency. Donald Trump has a record of doing that. And just like you say he owns this crisis, he also owned that economy before it crashed when this crisis happened. Peloponnesian Wars. That economy is ancient Sparta against no, Athens. People are still watching it. And I disagree oh, with you, Mark. Depends Those job on where numbers it went through the roof. And I depends. think come November, there it's was who's going to be able to lead us out of this? All right. Well, let's end it there. This has been a, a vigorous discussion. <laughs> I struggled to get a word in edgewise there for the first half. You guys were going strong, but a little political punch out and a little bit of good humor amidst this uh, sad situation we're in seemed like the order of the day. So well done. Thanks, well everybody. Done, thanks, and guys. we will be back next week. Great. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.